Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you here today, and thank you for worshiping with us, either in the house or also online. And of course, you know, we are still in our essential series. I hope that you're taking advantage of the devotions throughout the week, and that you're logging on through that portal that we're giving you. Uh, There's a devotion every single day for you and your family and discussion questions to really dive deeper into the essentials that we're revealing to you and talking about on the weekend. So I hope that you do that, take advantage of that uh, as well. We're talking about worship today. And most of the time when you think about worship, you think about music, right? You think about us celebrating God's goodness, hands up, voices loud, celebrating what God has done. And you know what? There are times when things are going great and it's easy to worship God, right? I mean, when things are great at home, when the business is all up and to the right, when everything is going as it should go, as you hope it would go, then it's easy to thank God, to praise God and worship God. But here's my question. What happens when things are not going so good? Can you worship God when things are going bad? When things are frustrating you? When things are not going as planned? Can you worship God when you're grieving? Can you worship God when you're doubting? Can you worship God when you're hurting? Truth of the matter is, a lot of us have been through seasons like that over this last year. We've gone through seasons, probably all of you at some point, have felt those emotions. How do you worship God then. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want you to get your Bible. I want you to open up with me to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is in the Old Testament. It's about five books from the end of the Old Testament. So you can start at the end and work backwards. You'll run into Habakkuk. Just three small chapters. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets And the only reason why they call them minor prophet is because of the volume of their work, right? Major prophets would be like Isaiah, Jeremiah, they wrote big books, but the minor prophets, they just wrote small little books, all right? Small little entries in our Bible. However, though they're small, they're very important and they're very potent. And today we're going to look at a message from Habakkuk, this minor prophet, that talks about worship. You know, the prophet... Really, most of the time, what they did was they received a word from God, and they delivered that message to the people. That's, that's kind of their job description, right? Is to hear from God, deliver the message. But Habakkuk is different. He's, he's unusual in that regard, that he never receives a message from God and gives it to the people. If anything, he does the opposite. He's really taking to God his own frustrations and his own anxieties and his own internalized anger, if you will, and, and venting it toward God. That's why some people call uh, Habakkuk the complaining prophet. I don't know if that's really fair. I think he's just being honest, right, with God about what's going on in his life. And so Habakkuk is, is venting to God. Now listen, the book of Habakkuk, just three chapters, can really be summarized this way. Two conversations and one song. That's it. Two conversations and one song. So let me give you a little overview, all right? Conversation number one goes like this. Habakkuk talking to God. God, where are you? God, why are you letting these bad things happen? God, don't you see the evil that's happening? Don't you see the violence that's happening? Don't you see all the terrible things around us? God, why don't you do something? I've been calling out to you and you've done nothing. I can't see that you even hear me. God, are you even listening? Can anybody relate to that, right? Has anybody been there where you felt that? 
Yeah, that's Habakkuk. God replies, uh, I am doing something. In fact, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm sharpening the sword of the Babylonians, and they're going to come in and execute judgment on Israel. And, and if I'd have told you this in advance, you wouldn't have even believed it. That's conversation number one. Conversation number two starts off like this. Habakkuk saying, God, why are you doing that? That's a terrible idea, right? They're really bad. I mean, they're really wicked. They're really terrible. God, why are you using them to execute judgment on us? And if you're reading through the lines, really what he's saying is, God, that's not fair. God, that's not good. Why would you be doing that? To which God replies, well, let's just look at what kind of condition Israel is in. And he starts listing off all their infractions, all their sin. He points out their corruption, their injustice, their violence, their drunkenness, their immorality, their greed, their idol worship that is proliferated throughout every part of their society. By the way, it doesn't sound a whole lot different than what we're living in right now. And it's at that point that the conversation changes. Habakkuk no longer is bringing an appeal. In fact, we get to chapter 3, and it's a song. If you don't believe me, just look at the last verse of chapter 3. Just look at it. It's actually instruction to the choir director as to how to sing this song. So all of chapter 3 is really a song that was sung in worship. It was a song that you sing. It's a song that you sing when you don't want to worship. It's a song that you sing when your heart is heavy. It's a song that you sing when life is not turning out the way you want it. It's a song that you sing when life doesn't make sense. And so that's what we're going to look at today. How do you worship God when life doesn't make sense. Now, before I jump into it, let me just say that this chapter 3, that's what we're going to dive in today, this chapter 3 has really two application points to it, so I just want to let you know on the front end where I'm headed. There is a national application. Habakkuk is concerned about the nation, and so God speaks about the nation, and so I think there's some application for what's happening in our nation right now. But there's also a personal application because Habakkuk realizes that what happens to the nation is going to affect him personally. And so God is dealing with that too. So we're going to be volleying back between those two applications as we look at how God's word impacts our life today, okay? So let's look at it. Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. If you're with me, say amen. All right, this is the word of God. A prayer of the prophet Habakkuk, according to Ziganoth, which is probably that phrase, that statement is probably a musical term. Verse 2, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. When you are seeking to worship God, when your heart is heavy, when life doesn't make sense, when things are not working the way you want it to work, the first thing we need to do is that we need to appeal to what God has done. 
Jot that down. You need to appeal to what God has done. That's what Habakkuk is doing here. He's saying, God, I've heard of you in the past. I've seen what you've done in the past. God, I want you to do it now. Do it again. Gene Peterson, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Bible, the paraphrased version, he put it this way, God, I've heard what our ancestors say about you. Do among us what you did among them. See, Habakkuk starts off appealing to what God has done in the past. God, you've been faithful in the past. Now, God, we need you to show up now. See, that's, that's his whole idea. Now, if you look at verses 3 through verse 15, all right, those next 12 verses, basically what Habakkuk is going to do is give you a highlight reel of all the times that God has showed up in the past to defend Israel, to protect Israel, to defeat their enemies. He's just going to go through a quick overview of all the times that God has been faithful in the past. And I, I won't take time to read the whole thing. You can do that after lunch today, but let me just kind of give you a little orientation. In verses 3 through 4, he mentions Mount Paran. You see that? Mount Paran. That's another name for Mount Sinai. And he talks about thunder and lightning and smoke and, and earthquake. And that is when God gathered the Israelites at Mount Sinai when Moses was getting the Ten Commandments and God showed his power. And he's saying, God, don't you remember when you showed your power back then? And then look at verse uh, 5 and 6. He mentions plagues. This is a clear reference to the plagues in Egypt when Israelites were in bondage. And God sent all these terrible plagues to Egypt uh, so that they would release them and set the people free. And so he, he's like, don't you remember when you flexed your muscles, God, and you, you brought the plagues on Egypt? Verse 7 speaks about these two tribes, Midian and Cush. These are two uh, tribal groups of people that they met in the wilderness wandering while they were traveling toward the promised land. He's like, God, don't you remember how you defeated these groups? How you protected us from these groups? Verses 8 through 15 really are just kind of a, uh, just kind of a like fast-paced, staccato-like, rapid-fire uh, mention of God's power, God's strength, God's victories. In verse 11, he mentions particularly the, the sun and the moon stood still. That's a reference to Joshua fighting the Amorites during the conquest period when they were taking hold of the promised land. Basically, all these things are a highlight reel. He's saying, God, don't you remember when you brought us out of Egypt? Don't you remember when you flexed your muscles at Sinai? Don't you remember how you protected us in the wilderness? Don't you remember how you defeated all of our enemies? Well, God, we've heard about all this from like ancient history. But God, we need you to do that now. We need you to show up now. God, what you did then. God, I appeal to you. Would you please do that now? Now, let's take this and talk about our country. I, I don't really care what political persuasion you are in. I think we can all agree we're concerned about our country. Can we agree with that? And so it's good to begin to, to appeal to God based on our past. To say, God, we remember how you, you founded our country with godly people. The pilgrims at Plymouth that were, love you, God. And, and many of the founders uh, were, were godly men who loved your word. 
God, we remember how you brought the first great awakening when we veered off and you brought us back to you in the second great awakening and you brought us back uh, the great businessmen's revival in New York City, God. We remember how you did that, God, over and over and over again when we've been divided, when we've been wayward, when we've fallen into sin, God, you have intervened to bring spiritual awakening. So God, what you've done in the past, God, we ask you to do it in our time. God, we don't want to read about any more ancient history, God. We want to see it now, God. Please, we appeal to you on your faithfulness to the past that God move in our time. Shouldn't that be our prayer, folks? Shouldn't that be our prayer? I know it's mine. You can also do the same thing in your own personal life. You can say, God, I'm going through a really difficult time right now. God, I'm really hurting right now. But God, I remember, God, you've been so good to me. God, how you provided for me here, you protected me here, you've given me health and strength, you've given me a job, you've given me a place to live, you've, you've brought wonderful family members or you brought friends in my life, you've done all these things. And of course, if you know Jesus, then he's at the top of the list, right? God, you provided salvation for me. God, you've been so faithful in the past. God, we need you now. And that's really what Habakkuk is doing. He's appealing based on the faithfulness of God in the past to move in the present. When you're worshiping God with a heavy heart, don't just start with the present. Look to the past. Because God's faithfulness in the past will stir up faith that just as God was faithful back then, he can do it again. Do you believe that, by the way? God can do that again. Right here, right now. So, he starts off by appealing to what God has done. And then, uh, I, I want you to notice this. He shifts gears in verse 16, and he says, now, not only do we have to do appeal to what God has done, but you've got to surrender to what God is doing. In other words, surrender your current circumstances to God. Now, look at verse 16. He says, I heard, and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now stop right there. What's going on here? He's like, all right, God, I was going, where are you? And you told me what you're doing. And when you said, I'm bringing the Babylonians, it was like horrible news. It was like my worst possible scenario. And you can almost sense Habakkuk being rocked back on his heels. It's almost like he's been punched in the gut and he's doubled over. Because he knows that if God is bringing the Babylonians against them, then that is going to mean hardship. It's going to mean pain. It's going to mean devastation. It's going to mean death and suffering. And he doesn't want that. Who does? Nobody wants that. And so he's just wrestling with his current circumstances. And, and what I think he is doing is, is one word that I want to give to you. I want to remind you of a very important word. And you can write it out beside verse 16. And this is the word lament. Habakkuk is lamenting his current circumstances. To lament something means to grieve over it. It means to vent your pain and your hurt and your discouragement over your current situation. To lament means to acknowledge what is happening in your life. 
know, there are many believers that struggle with lamenting, oddly enough. I've heard people kind of try to minimize their pain. They'll say, well, I know it's going to be okay. Or, well, I really shouldn't be struggling with this. And, and almost apologizing for hurting. Have you ever heard somebody do that? Almost as if if I acknowledge that I'm hurting, then that means I'm not very spiritually mature. I should well be, well be beyond this. Folks, that's just not biblical. That's not true. Lamenting is, is a biblical response to pain and to loss and to grief and to suffering. And we do well to lament. Habakkuk here, he sees it and he's like, oh, well, I know it's all going to work out. I mean, he's grieved over this and he laments his current situation. You look at Job. I mean, most of the book of Job is Job lamenting over his pain that he's walking through and wrestling deeply with it. You can't read the Psalms without seeing David grieving and lamenting over the hardship that he faces. Folks, get this. Life is not easy. There's a lot of hardship to go around. Jesus said in this, in this world, you will have trouble and there will be seasons of lament for every follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you're immature, you don't have your act together for you to lament a suffered loss. In fact, let me just take that one step further and say this. I believe that the only way to get to a place of worship you must go through a season of lamenting. Not to minimize it, not to push it off, not to delay it, but to sit in it, to express it, to process through it, and to allow the Lord to meet you there in your lament. Sometimes we do harm by trying to rush people through their lament. Instead of doing like Job's friends and just sit there with them and weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And Habakkuk here is lamenting. One of my, one of my favorite verses goes like this. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning Great is your faithfulness. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful statement of worship. You know where that is from? Lamentations. There's a whole book in your Bible about lamenting. And so part of what we have to do is we have to understand that lamenting is a part of the Christian life. And Habakkuk is working through this. He's lamenting. And part of that lamenting is surrendering to the current circumstance. He's like, God, I don't like this. God, I don't want this. God, I, this was never my plan. God, this hurts. God, I, I don't want this anymore. And, and as he laments through it, then he is able to process through that pain and get to a place of worship. Now, let, let me, for those of you lamenters right now, because you may be in a season of lamenting right now. So let me speak to you for just a minute. Let me just remind you. The rest of y'all can take a short little break while I talk to the lamenters in the room, all right? Lamenting is not a destination. It's just a stop on the journey, okay? Don't build your house on Lament Road. You understand what I mean? It's not a place to stay. It's a stop along the way to catch your breath, 
to surrender what you are going through to God and then to allow him to carry you forward to a better place. So how do we worship God when our heart is heavy? How do we worship God in our grief? How do we worship God when life isn't making sense or working out for us? We, we, we appeal to what God has done in the past. God, you've been so faithful in the past. God, we need you now. And then you acknowledge and surrender your current circumstance to God. You say, God, even though I'm hurting, God, even though I'm lamenting, God, I'm surrendering this to you and I'm putting this in your hands. And then the last thing that Habakkuk teaches us is this. We need to trust what God will do. Appeal to what God has done, surrender what God is doing, but trust what God will do. And I want you to look at the rest of verse 16, which by the way, I think it's interesting that the lamenting part that I just talked about is only half of one verse. That's just another reinforcement that we shouldn't stay there for long. But look at the rest of verse 16. He says, now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Now, don't miss out what he's saying. He's saying, now I must wait for the day of distress to come. He's not talking about the distress of the Babylonians coming. He's about the distress that will come against the people invading us. In other words, what he's saying is this, God, now I realize I'm going to just wait here because even though you bring the Babylonians against us and you are right and just in doing that, God, you're going to also judge them for what they do. And so, God, you're always going to make sure that the scales of justice are right. So God, I'm going to trust you that God, even though I may not see this day, I may not experience it in my own lifetime, God, I know that eventually one day you are going to do what is right. You're going to right every wrong. God, you're going to establish justice and righteousness. And I'm just going to wait for that. And if God, I live long enough to see it, then praise God. And if I don't, it's going to happen anyway. That's a tremendous statement of God's justice and of God's goodness. It's a statement of faith of what's going to come in the future. And then he moves to verse 17, which is probably the most popular passage in all the book of Habakkuk. If you know any verse in the book of Habakkuk, it's these next couple of verses. They're very popular, very beautiful. When I read them, you'll probably go, oh yeah, I didn't know that's where that was. Okay. But it's very important. Look at verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there is no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. In the CSB, the version that I'm reading from, he uses the word though three times. Though the fig tree doesn't bud. Though the olive crop fails. Though the flocks disappear. See that? The New New American Standard Version translates it even if. Even if. Even if. You know, as as people, not just Christians, as, as people, we tend to play the what if game a lot, don't we? And when I say the what if game, I'm not talking about the visionary optimistic, well, what if we could do this? Or what if that could happen? I'm talking about more the dark negative, uh, oh no, what if kind of thing. We run this inner dialogue a lot. Well, what if, what if that happens? Then what am I going to do? What if that happens? I, I'll never survive that. What if that happens? I, I don't know. I would just fall apart. We just, we just tend to run to the worst case scenario. And then we, we what if. This is what you do when you're laying in your bed at night and you can't sleep. 
No amens? All right. Right? We do this. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Some of you are professional what-ifers. Uh, you've, you've done this a long time. But, but as followers, listen to me, as followers of Jesus, we need to exchange our what-if for even-if. There's a difference. In fact, there's a big difference between what-if and even-if. Even if this thing happens, God, you're still good. Even if this situation doesn't work out, I'm going to trust you. Even if this worst thing happens, God, I will still praise you. And that is where Habakkuk comes to. Even if. What if leads to a question? What will I do? Even if leads to a statement. God, you're good. What if leads to doubt? I don't know how I would make it. But even if leads to faith, I'm going to trust you, God, no matter what. What if focuses on me? I don't know how I will survive. I don't know how I will respond. But even if focuses on God, God, even if all this happens, God, you remain the same. What if produces turmoil in my life? My heart just churns within me. But even if produces trust and confidence in God. Listen, what if leads to worry? But even if leads to worship. Habakkuk came to a place where he said, God, even if the worst thing happens, you remain the same. And I'm going to worship you. I've been there, haven't you? When you're facing that heartbreak, when you've been facing the worst thing that you never wanted to see, and you have to say, God, even then, in this situation, I'm going to choose to worship you. Even if we can never have children. Even if I never get married. Even if I never make it to that school that I've always been wanting to go to. Even if my husband doesn't get better. Even if the cancer comes back. Even if our child continues to run from you. Even if that person that hurt me never apologizes. Even if this temptation that is a thorn in my flesh never goes away, God, no matter what happens, even if, and you fill in the blank, God, I will trust you. God, I will worship you. That's a place of worship. And you say, Craig, well, how in the world do I get there? How did Habakkuk get to that? How can anybody get to that place? Well, the answer is found in verse 19. Look at verse 19. Maybe the most important verse of all that I've shared so far. Listen to what he says. He said, the reason I can say, even if God, I will worship you, is what he says in verse 19. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on the mountain heights. I love that. He said, uh, he said you know why I can say even if? Because the Lord is going to provide strength for me no matter what happens. 
Even if this doesn't get any better, my Lord is going to strengthen me. He's going to carry me through this. And he's even going to lead me to the heights. He's not destined me to the valley. He's not destined me to the low places in life. But even through this valley I'm walking through right now, he is going to put my feet on the high places where I can see him and I can worship him and I can know him and my foot will not slip just like those mountain deer that crawl up on the heights of those craggy rocks. He said, I can be up there too because my Lord, is with me. That's confidence in the Lord. My friend, he's faithful. And no matter what you're walking through right now, that's where he's leading you to, the high places. The place where you see with a clearer vision and you experience him in a more powerful way that God leads you to a place of worship like you've never, ever experienced before. So can you worship God even when things are hard, when life doesn't make sense? Yeah, you can. But you've got to appeal to God's faithfulness. You've got to surrender even what you're lamenting right now. But then you have to trust Him. That He is with you. That He will carry you. And He's leading you to the high places. As I have uh, thought about this, you know, there was one thing in verse 19 that stood out. By the way, your homework assignment this week is to write Habakkuk 3.19 on a card, write it on in your journal, put it up on your refrigerator, put it in your car because it will encourage you of what God's plan is for you. But I want you to notice one thing before I, I quit. I want you to notice this two words here that I think really jumped out at me as I was just meditating on it. He said, the Lord is my strength. Actually, that's not what it says. Look at what it says. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. See the difference? He didn't see God as, well, he's the big man upstairs and he's gonna, yeah, he'll, he'll maybe help me out. No, this is, he's speaking out of personal relationship. My Lord is going to carry me. See, the only thing that will carry you through these very, very difficult seasons in life is that you know Him. That you walk in relationship with Him. And that He knows you. So do you know Him like that? I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. You may be here today and you say, Craig, I don't know that I can say my Lord. I don't know that I've ever had a personal encounter, a personal relationship with Christ. But you can. In fact, right where you are, you may be going through a very dark valley right now. You may be really going through a difficult season, a season of grief or heartache or doubt or discouragement. And you find it really hard to worship God. But listen, worshiping God begins with knowing Him. And here's the gospel. Here's the good news that when we were lost and wayward and far from God and deserving judgment that God sent Jesus, his one and only son to this earth so that we could know him. He revealed himself to us in Christ. He showed us what a life lived for God looks like. But more than that, Jesus went to a cross. And on that cross, Jesus paid for your sin and for my sin.
all of your sin put on the back of Jesus. And why did he do that? Because he loves you. Because he wants to redeem you. Because he wants to be your Lord. Jesus died on that cross. He rose again the third day. And he offers you now an opportunity to say yes to him. To have your sin forgiven. To have your eternity secure. To have purpose and meaning in this life right now. And to live out that life that he created you to live. But you've got to say yes to him. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If you've never placed your trust and faith in Jesus, if you've never had a moment in time when you know for sure when you gave your life to Christ, if there is any kind of cloud of confusion or vagueness attached to your encounter with Jesus Christ, then today can be your day when you nail it down, that you're right with God. So I want to lead you in a simple prayer of faith. And if God's stirring in your heart right now, then you can pray with me. Just pray with me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. But I believe you died on a cross for me. And I believe you rose again from the dead. And I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Lord, I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. Please come into my life and forgive me. Put your spirit within me, God. I want to know you. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. Now, just with your heads bowed, there may be some of you that you're worshiping God with heavy hearts today. That this message was for you. then why don't you right now find a place of worship? It may be to kneel right where you are. It may be to stand. It may be to sit quietly. Whatever that posture is that you find that place of worship. And just begin to thank God for how he's provided for you in the past. Surrender that hurt and that pain to him right now. He is a loving father that loves you. Tell him that you're trusting him, that he's going to lead you forward. Even if, lay that on the table to him. And let him lift your head.